Kelly and Kelly. Previously on This Sounds Serious. Uh, would you want to comb a mini horse? Uh, um, I went to visit Daniel Bronstad in Florida, and he turned out to be even stranger than I expected. I just feel more comfortable sleeping in small spaces, and so I actually sleep in this tub. Doesn't it ever... I learned about Chuck and Daniel's childhood. This was the only picture of a band we had called the Doppelgangers. <laughs> it was a, we were trying a German thing there. And I learned about their falling out. He was beating himself up, right. as well as me. But maybe the most important thing that I learned was that after Chuck and Daniel's fight... He joined a fucking cult. Daniel joined a cult. It's This Sounds Serious, the case of Daniel Bronstadt, a CastBox original. Join me for a journey inside the mind of the most fascinating 911 caller I've ever encountered. I couldn't shake what Karen said about Daniel being in a cult. And I knew Daniel wouldn't talk about where he was for those years. Where'd you go? I, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. So I set to work researching religious cults of the 1990s. And yeah, of course, I was alive in the 90s. I remember hearing about the super famous cults on the news. The 39 people found dead were wearing Nike sneakers, believing their spirits would ride to heaven on the tail of the Hale-Bopp comet. But the more I researched, the more I discovered just how widespread cults were during that decade. The cult claims to worship something called pogs. So, yeah, it makes sense that Daniel could have been in a cult for those years. Cults were everywhere. We told you about the 22 people killed in yesterday's tunnel collapse, and now we are learning that they may have had ties to Idaho's ant farm cult. The 90s were also a time of doomsday prophecies. As we approached the end of the millennium, many fringe members of society believed we were also approaching the end of the world. The result was a whole lot of doomsday cults. Cults where the ultimate goal was to have all of their members leave this world altogether, often as a mass suicide. And the 41 men who burned to death in that cabin were all Belgian, all celibate, and all wearing matching silk kimonos. How interesting, Jessica. So, if Daniel was indeed in a cult in the 90s, what kind of cult was he in? Oh, I don't know. Something to do with oceans or a swimming pool. One or the other. Karen told me Daniel's cult had something to do with water. But that's it. I didn't have much else to go on. But after digging through countless newspaper archives and a few online forums, one name kept coming up. The Mandala. The Mandala. The Mandala. The Mandala. Uh, kind of like gondola. It was a cult that formed in central Florida in the mid-90s. I was able to track down several survivors of the mandala, and some agreed to speak with me. Um, can we not use my real name for this? This is Allison. My real name's Allison with two L's, but can we call me Allison with one L? I was one of the first members of the mandala starting in 1995. Daniel was for sure in it, yes, 100%. Of course, back then we called him Brother Kai, I mean, we were all renamed. Uh, I was actually Sister Allison with three L's. If the mandala was, in fact, where Daniel spent the second half of the 90s, by all accounts, it wasn't your typical 90s cult. Here's what the mandala was all about. We were slaves to the tides. 
so such we were forbidden from sleeping during full moons. You had to always be wearing a bathing suit. One important aspect was community outreach, and we would spread the good news at SeaWorld. Our sins would be redeemed in the Great Bath. The Great Bath. The Great Bath. Possessions cannot exist in the Great Bath. So everything we owned was handed over to the Mandala. Water, not war. Water, not war. Water, bro, not war. Salt water, good. Tears of sorrow, bad. The sea below absolves our sin. The sea below absolves our sin. The sea below absolves our sin. The water's warm, so so dive dive right right in. in. If this sounds confusing, it is. Because what the Mandala believed in was kind of strange. But here's how I understand it. They had a specific driving principle to fulfill their leader's vision. And hear me out on this. To rebuild... The lost city of Atlantis. The lost city of Atlantis. Their leader, known as Papa Ramsey, foretold that one day what he called a great bath would come and a giant bubble would swallow the cult up and deliver them to Atlantis. I mean, I was hooked from the minute I heard. I was always a swimmer. I, I loved to be underwater. I always wanted to breathe underwater. Here was this man telling me I could be a part of that. Yes, sign me up. Mandala members spent the better part of five years preparing for this by communing with water. And every day... We prepared for this through water worship. They even incorporated water into their lovemaking. You know, I don't know if you know this, but the human body is 70% water. You know, you can't fuck a puddle, right? (laughs) But you can fuck a sweaty guy, and boy, did I. I mean, I fucked a lot of sweaty women, too. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. How this was supposed to prepare them for Atlantis? I'm not sure. But logic doesn't necessarily come into play when you're creating a cult. But what's so unusual about the Mandala is that, unlike so many of their contemporaries, they weren't a doomsday cult. And their leader is still very much alive. Hi, Ramsey. are you Gwen? Yeah, that's, I'm Gwen. How are you? I'm Ramsey. Nice to meet you. This is my producer, Dave. Hey, Dave, how are you? Don't worry about those shoes. Bring them on in. Ramsey Cole is in his early 60s now. He's tanned and dressed in a Hawaiian shirt, a captain's hat, and cargo shorts. So, we're here to talk cults, are you? Do you want something to drink? He looks a bit like Jimmy Buffett, but maybe even more laid back, if you can believe it. Oh, yeah, there was a guy in my cult, and I'll, I'll never forget this guy. He was all like, I think we should kill ourselves. And we were all like, uh, yeah, okay, Todd, you go first. You can tell why people wanted to be around him. He didn't kill himself, though. He has such a warm energy as he lumbers around the yard outside his large central Florida house wearing those shoes that fit like gloves on your toes. To be clear, for the purposes of your podcast, all right, we were a cult. But, you know, when it comes to the IRS and all the legal ramifications and whatnot, we were a church an assembly of a group of individuals with a a like-minded ideology who just wanted to hear a bunch of gobbledygook that I was making up. He tells me that the event that led to him starting the cult wasn't a spiritual awakening or a vision, but a meeting with an old friend. Well, I was having drinks one night with my uh, college roommate in the late 80s, and he was telling me about his lifestyle post-college. 
you know, he was getting high all the time, sleeping with tons of chicks, not getting up till noon, that type of stuff. And uh, it was like college had never ended for him. And I said, well, how are you doing this? Like, what, what are you doing to make this possible? And he said, I started a cult. He said, all you got to do is find a group of people who uh, want to believe in something and will, will listen to your bullshit. And it's just that easy. And so I said, well, that's what I want to do. I went that home that night and I came up with the idea of the mandala. Yeah. Man, that guy, he's dead now. He, uh, he died in a shootout with the cops. I mean, his cult went off the deep end. Some real Waco, Texas kind of shit. Nutty stuff. Well, I haven't thought about him in years. Ramsey goes on to tell me about the early days of the Mandala and their beginnings at an apartment complex in Tampa. To be perfectly honest with you, those days are a little foggy for me because I was pretty messed up at the time. But the early days of the Mandala, I mean, our gatherings were just parties. You know, I was good at picking up chicks. And so if you're good at doing that, the guys will follow. And, you know, what started with one party one weekend would double in size the next weekend and triple in size the next weekend. And then people just stopped leaving. You know, I was getting everything I wanted from these people. You know, money, sex. Um, well, that's basically all I wanted, money and sex. Oh, man, things really kicked up a notch when we got the house. Uh, this house had everything. A CD player that could hold six CDs. It had a bidet in the bathroom, a television in the kitchen. Oh, that was a party house. Those were the greatest years of my life. You know, we were all there because of this one man. He was just this beautiful entity. This was our little utopia. I would have followed him anywhere. They were so alive, living from their heart, playing, embracing. I thought we would be together our entire lives and beyond, or at least till Y2K. You know, I quite enjoyed living in a bathing suit. The whole living underwater thing, I remember it vividly one night when I came up with it. We're about eight months in living at the house. I'm 33 years old, same age as Jesus, no big deal. And we're having a party one night, and I'm tripping out on mushrooms. And all of a sudden, the group is looking at me, and they're saying, okay, this is great, we're living here in the community, but we're looking for deeper meaning. I mean, do we have a Bible? What's our core belief? And I was tripping out. And I looked over at the fish tank, and I was like, all right, uh, we are a water-based religion uh, and our core belief is that we want to go live under the ocean and rebuild the lost city of Atlantis. Like, I'm tripping. And everybody looks at me like, bingo, that's it. He spoke as if he had gone to Atlantis and come back. I mean, when you're listening to somebody like that, you're, you know, you get a little spooked, but it's a good spook. Oh, man. You have to understand, being a cult leader is a lot like telling a story at a party. I'm sure you've done that. You know, where you start telling the story, and it's an okay story, but all of a sudden you realize, holy crap, everybody in the room is listening to my story. And you get that 
thoughts or a feeling in your stomach where you're like, uh-oh, geez, this is maybe not that great of a story. So you start adding more lies to the story to make it more entertaining as you go along and people start responding to more of the lies. I mean, that is exactly what being a cult leader is like. You're just kind of adding bullshit on top of bullshit on top of bullshit. And I was good at it, man. I was good at it. So you knew the power you had over these people? Of course I did, but I I didn't go looking for it. I mean, I wasn't on some power trip. I, I, it's just a byproduct of being a cult leader. I, I can't emphasize this enough. When people join a cult, it's because they are looking for something. For some people, it was the party. For others, it was a spiritual awakening. And for most, it was family, a sense of belonging and community. And I certainly think that was the case with Daniel. After the break, we look at Daniel's involvement in the mandala, which according to all accounts was extensive. Before the break, we were looking at the cult known as the Mandala, a cult Daniel was a part of. Remember, Daniel won't talk about this period in his life. But everyone I've spoken to is adamant that Daniel, then known as Kai, was not just a member, but a prominent figure in the cult's inner circle. That guy was involved in everything we were doing in the Mandala, from organizing events to putting different groups together to writing our literature. (laughs) Believe it or not, we were working on a waterproof Bible. (laughs) But, I mean, he did everything, especially music. I mean, wow, that guy could sing. According to everyone I spoke to, Daniel was the cult's musical leader. Water... H2, you know, you know, you know why. Because the water absolves us of our sins. One of them, a member named Brother Vince, gave me a professionally printed CD labeled O Atlantis. By bucketful or cup, in a funnel or hose, your salvation will spray all over you. He says thousands of them were printed, and you can still find them in the clearance bins of secondhand stores around central Florida. Let salvation tinkle down on you from the heavens above. The floods will come. It's funny. It's not the type of music I'm used to hearing from Daniel. It's such a deep, spoken word dirge. But that's not the only memento from his time in the cult. There's also this. Are you searching for life's great meaning? Is there a hole in your soul that you're looking to fill? Hello, I'm Brother Kai of the Spiritual Order of the Mandala Faith. With the help of some of the former members, I was able to track down a promotional video with a familiar voice. Would it surprise you if I told you that the human body is 70% water? That's why it's called a body of water. The Daniel in this video is not the Daniel I know today. He's in loose linen clothes, kind of like a guru, or maybe a pirate. He's got a goatee and a ponytail, and he's totally at peace. At the Mandala Faith, we believe in building an Atlantis of tomorrow 
fathoms below the surface of the sea. Over the years, Kai kind of became a substitute teacher when Papa Ramsey was away. And I think deep down, he also wanted to be the face of the mandala. He made videos so the public could learn more about what we were up to. Well, doesn't it make sense to you that the physical part of your body that's water should return to where it all came from? <laughs> yeah, it was around that time that I decided I needed to take a vow of silence, if you can believe it. Yeah, that's what a lot of cult leaders do when they kind of run out of shit to say. Uh, you know, I just told people, you know, Papa Ramsey's got to go inward here. Uh, no more eye contact with him. Uh, he's not going to say anything. Uh, you can't uh, knock on his door whenever you want because you're looking for some advice. But it was around that time I sort of said to Daniel, you know, you're kind of in charge now. You become the default leader and I just... Fucked off to Maui for like five months. You can reach us at 1-800-4-MANDALA or search AOL keyword mandala. And remember, only you have the power to return to the water. Of course, the thing I remember most about Kai is the, the video camera. I mean, he was always carrying a video camera around. That's the thing I kept hearing from former mandala members. Daniel was always making videos. Oh, <laughs> it was one of those big, clunky 90s VHS things, like a proper camcorder. It must have ruined his shoulder. Okay, here we have Sister Kathy, who looks like you're doing your morning salutation. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Hello. Say hello. Hey, go ahead. Just do, do what you're doing. It's fine. In the videos, it's young people in bathing suits playing by a swimming pool. Daniel is the one shooting video and narrating it all. Come on! Come on, brother, come on! No, brother Robert, don't... Put the camera down! Don't splash! No, don't splash! Don't splash the camera, brother Robert! I'm splashing Don't splash this. This was $400. There's a large grass area where some are frolicking and playing acoustic guitar. Around another corner, people are meditating. As you can see... Uh, there's a ritualistic blessing going on here in the sanctuary that I, I really don't want to disturb. Oh, hi, Deborah. These videos, and there are hundreds of them, each on VHS and labeled Mandala with a date sometime between 1995 and 2000, are all shelved in Ramsey Cole's basement. I actually called this the videotape room. Come on in here. I was surprised when he showed me the tapes because he doesn't seem like he's sentimental about that time in his life. Pretty impressive, huh? Hours and hours and hours of videotapes, and you're probably asking yourself, why? Why would I keep these tapes? It's certainly not to go down memory lane. This is evidence. You know, if the feds were to ever come after me, I have, I have proof right here on these tapes of me just sitting there in a robe doing nothing or floating around in the pool as people just willingly gave me their money. This is this is my saving grace, that's for sure. Oh shit, Uncle Buck's in here. You ever seen this? This is a great movie. I know I don't really know Daniel. I've spoken to him a few times and I've learned a bit about him through his friends. But the man I see and hear in these tapes is the happiest version of Daniel, or should I say Kai, I've ever seen. 
Oh, here we go. This is interesting. A meeting of the minds. A meeting of the minds. Hello, Brother Felix. There's a calm energy that can't be denied. This is where the wetsuits are stored for the reckoning. No longer tethered to his twin, he seemingly emerged a new man, overjoyed in his music and his new family. Where the water flows. Everybody, come on, join in. Where the water flows. He looks like he could stay in this place forever. Where the water flows, only water knows. That's it, don't be shy, there you go. <laughs> and I wonder, if Daniel truly was happy here, why would he leave the mandala? Well, I have a couple theories. Theory number one. In 2000, Chuck and his wife Karen got divorced. I'll talk more about that in the next episode. But this was the same year that Daniel left the mandala. We've heard Daniel talk about twins having sympathetic pain. Maybe that's real. Maybe he felt Chuck going through the anguish of a divorce and decided that he needed to be by his brother's side. My other theory is that he had to flee. Somebody did something that made Daniel feel unsafe. Or maybe it was something Daniel brought upon himself. Right around 1998, it just started getting way too crowded. I think the perfect size for any cult is about 100 people. You know, that's a number you can manage, not only logistically, but with the mind control stuff, you know. But something happened around 1998, and I'll tell you what it was. It was that goddamn movie Titanic starring Kiefer Sutherland and Jennifer Aniston. After that came out, people were obsessed with the ocean, and and we tripled in size. And I I just couldn't handle it anymore. Too many clingy people who were needing something from me, and it was like, I gotta get out of here. According to everyone I talked to, the money dried up in 2000, and that's when the mandala essentially disbanded. Uh, You know, that's when people start asking about their money. You know, they're like, I want to leave too. Where's my money? And I'm like, where's your money? This isn't an investment fund. You gave your money, we spent it. You know, people were pissed. And I think Daniel had to sort of deal with the brunt of it because he was kind of our default accountant. So when people started having money questions, they went to Brother Kai. According to some members I talked to, Daniel said he was going for a swim late one night. And when they woke up the next morning, Daniel had vanished, and a large portion of the cult's money, about $400,000 in cash, was missing. When the mandala ended, people were really upset. I mean, just losing it. You know, the cult broke apart, and nobody knew what to do. I didn't know what to do. All of a sudden, I was all alone with no money, nowhere to live. And then where do you go from there? You can't put cult on your resume You can't. From 1995 to 2000, cult. I mean, come give me a break. Give me a break on that. You know, at job interviews, they'd ask me why I had a five-year gap on my resume. Guess what I told them? The truth. Guess what the truth was? I was moving water from one jar to another with a sponge for five years. I got a job teaching Montessori, so that's, that's what I do now. After examining Daniel's time in the mandala, it's pretty obvious he was a true believer. He was completely immersed in the rituals and the beliefs of the cult. And then, quite abruptly, he was out, estranged from the home he'd known for five years. And if what people say is true, that he effectively bankrupted the mandala on his way out, then he made a hundred enemies 
overnight. Do I think those people would be pissed that Daniel took all their money? Uh, yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, wouldn't you? This makes me wonder. Could a cult member have mistakenly killed Chuck, thinking it was Daniel? But well, we really felt abandoned by the Mandela leadership. Absolutely. We, we, we did. We all did. There's a lot of Mandela members still out there, and uh, truth be told, a lot of them are pretty kooky, so I could see them coming for Daniel. Next time on This Sounds Serious, why Daniel's return to Orlando may have ultimately led to Chuck's demise. You want me to say that there was friction between Chuck and I, but there wasn't. For, for us, it was no friction. It was more lube, lube-like. I mean, he's lucky he didn't get Chuck fired, you know? Man, sometimes you just feel like the weather's the same as your mood inside, you know? People honestly couldn't tell if it was Chuck or me. If you are sailing today, we'll have Tanner Austin's on the set. Get up, Tanner, get off the set. What are you doing? This Sounds Serious is a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to This Sounds Serious wherever you get your podcasts, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot. We think it's the best.